Welcome to The Disenfranchised, helping you to find a career away from employment by exploring the franchised community. I'm Ed Pennell and I'll be speaking with the entrepreneurs, experts and leaders who can help you to find the lifestyle and career you've always wanted away from the 9 to 5 grind. On this episode, I'm speaking with Adrian Knight, the founder of Knight Franchises, a specialist firm that helps experienced professionals transition from employment into franchise business ownership. He's personally worked with over 5,000 professionals and is the author of Change Your Career and Change Your Life, Freedom, Control and Prosperity Through Franchising. I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll be back at the end to share my thoughts. So Adrian, welcome to the Disenfranchised Show. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, how, how are you doing? Yeah, great. Thanks, Ed. Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to, to, uh, to be on here. Excellent. And it's obviously around Christmas time, as you can see in the background behind me. So uh, how are preparations for Christmas going and, and how have you coped with this year in, with the whole COVID situation? Yeah, I mean, with regards to uh, COVID, we've actually uh, coped very well. Um, so my team and I are primarily, uh, we have our central office, but we're primarily remote anyway. So there was no massive changes there. Um, Christmas, probably falling a little bit behind in terms of getting ready. Uh, I'm yet to get a Christmas present, um, but I've got some ideas on what we want. We're actually moving house on on the 18th of December, so a week before Christmas. So that's sort of taken a wow. priority in our, yeah, in our minds. Yeah, I can imagine. That's, uh, there's no wonder you're the leaving the, the, the Christmas shop into the last minute. You don't want to have to pack them up and take them with you either, do you? So. No, I think it's going to be uh, a Christmas tree and a one-year-old daughter under each arm, and that's... Uh, yeah, just be going into the new house like that. So, wow, exciting time. So, and uh, yeah, hopefully it all goes well for you. But uh, Adrian, for for those people who haven't perhaps met you or heard from you before, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I have two businesses within the within the franchise sector. Uh, one of them is a uh, franchise recruitment business that very much uh, presents franchising as an alternative uh, career option to uh, professionals who are in their corporate roles and maybe considering uh, like a career change or just doing something different. And the other one is a, a white collar uh, consultancy uh, franchise network that we have as well. Okay, awesome. So um, I, I want to kind of take you back right to the beginning now of your, your career, because <laughs> this is something I'm interested to find out is how did you, you get into franchising? But I want to start from, from day one. What, what was your first job? My first, my first job was actually a paper round when I was 13. And in a way, Ed, this was my induction into franchising. Um, I've always loved cars and I was determined to save up for a car. So when I turned 17, I could get a nice one. So I got a, a paper round on my 13th birthday and um, quickly realized that I wasn't saving enough. So I needed to, to make some more money. Um, so by my 15th birthday, I had uh, five paper rounds that I had uh, franchised to my friends. And so I wasn't actually doing any of them. I was actually working in the paper shop and sort of overseeing uh, sort of the, the five different sort of paper routes, which was um, great fun, actually great, great experience in, in terms of understanding the, the sort of dynamics of the sort of 
franchisor franchisee relationship even though we had no idea what that was back then we were just yeah that's amazing that's amazing so so you, you were signing up for five paper rounds and then weren't doing them yourself you were just getting your friends to to do the deliveries and then taking the cut of the the fee was that well, well the, the first three i done myself but trying to fit that in around sort of school life and school life homework three paper rounds and then trying to see sort of friends and that i realized that i couldn't just didn't have the capacity um and then it was only when one of my friends wanted the paper rounds but they couldn't get one because i was already doing it when we kind of said well why don't you do it and i'll keep a, a small percentage of the weekly wages and help you sort of prep like all of the leaflets that used to go <laughs> into the papers um and they worked really well and i figured well why not keep doing that and i ended up uh yeah as i said sort of working in the the main paper shop which was great fun um and ultimately actually went on to win paper boy of the year and got a brand new bike from halfords so that was that was pretty cool <laughs> fantastic so one step closer towards getting a car i guess I know, <laughs> two, right? two wheels I mean, instead of four <laughs> freedom within within freedom within reach yeah yeah exactly so did you did you end up getting a car based off the money you made from the paper rounds or i guess and you had to move on from from that into another another job i guess well, I, I did. So after, um, after actually, it's interesting. This is my franchising journey sort of continued, but I didn't realise because um, after about a year and a half, I was about 16, 16 15 when I joined sort of the paper shop, um, and about sixteen and a half, I think it was, when uh, one of the girls I worked with said so she had a friend who worked at Pizza Hut, and they okay. done uh, used to do really well on tips. So I was like, oh, that's cool, and I ended up going uh, to work with uh, work at Pizza Hut. But long story short, Ed, I did get my car and I was very happy and uh, it was my pride and joy until my dad crashed it. So, oh, no way. <laughs> what, what car was it? It was just a Renault Clio, but it was, it was, it was everything like, to me personally. It was just, it, it was, in the end, it actually wasn't about the car. It was all of the, the work and everything over the previous um, sort of four years up to that and all the lessons that I'd sort of learned in terms of and not being afraid to um, uh, roll your sleeves up and get stuck in, really. Yeah, so it just made it all the more worthwhile. It's interesting. You, you, even from that young, early age of 13, you, you set a, a goal or a target for yourself and then work towards it. And, uh, yeah, I guess it must be pretty satisfying to finally uh, achieve that. So, uh, yeah, very nice. Really, really interesting. So I was going to ask you, how did you, how did you get into franchising? But, it, I mean, it sounds like it started from from a very early age really but um i'm guessing in between where you are now and and the and the, the the newspaper uh days or newspaper round days you probably had some other roles in between so how did you find franchising as you found it today and uh, what attracted you to to that model it's a great question um and i love hearing this story from everyone else within the industry because people have such different sort of yeah. routes in but it's uh yeah, it's, it's always fascinating. My one was, um, I just, I never saw it coming really. I was, uh, I was working for a global technology company, um, big sort of, it's like Microsoft when they were 15 years old, like a big business, but they were growing sort of rapidly sure. fast. Um, and I was heading up their, their talent acquisition team across Europe, Middle East and Africa. So I had a team of six recruiters, that I was sort of working with and we were recruiting across 13 different countries, um, uh, 12 different languages. It was fascinating. Um, 
and I was doing a lot of uh, sort of coaching and work with their North American team. Um, one of the one of the things about sort of this role was that because it was a tech company, it was actually specialising in emerging technology. So the technology was so new that it's actually really hard to find people with the relevant skills. So we had to get quite deep into different. Uh, like headhunting strategies and uh, referrals and networks and stuff like that. And we'd innovated a few sort of processes in, in Europe and we were sort of sharing them with the US. And I've always been a big fan of America, rightly or wrongly. Okay. And um, I always knew as well that I would be my own boss. Um, it was always been in me since I was uh, a little boy. And I knew that was my path. And I was just coming up to turning 30. And I was starting to think about this more and more about being uh, like working for myself and building something and building something that I could be sort of proud of, and that my sort of future family could be proud of. And I started to entertain ideas of starting up a business, but I thought, why not combine that with uh, maybe going out to the US and relocating out to the US? So yeah. I was exploring, I spent some time exploring visa options and how to get out to America. And it's really hard. Um, and I discovered that actually starting a business in the US is a great way, particularly for someone coming from the UK, to secure a visa. But the more research I've done it, the more I started to hear about franchising. And it turned out that franchising was an even better way and more safer way to get a visa. So I was like, oh, what's this, this sort of franchising stuff? And at the time, very similar to a lot of people, the extent of my knowledge was McDonald's and yeah. Domino's <laughs> and just visions of like pizza slices and, and neon lights just came up. Um, so long story short, I started working with a franchise consultant over in California, just outside of okay. Los Angeles. And the guy was uh, a bit of an industry veteran in the franchising sector. He'd set up the uh, sort of the franchise recruitment systems for uh, a, a, a couple of large um, sort of franchise brands out there. And his name was Dan. And Dan and I spent three months exploring different franchise opportunities, really diving into like myself, my profile, my background, and also what I wanted to achieve in this sort of new chapter and at the end of that process he turned around to me and said okay Adrian you know what what business do you like the most and I was like well to be honest with you Dan the business I like the most is yours and <laughs> we sort of, we had a bit of a laugh about it I was like but seriously the business I like the most is actually what you're doing I think is really interesting and coming from that sort of headhunting talent acquisition background I could really relate to a lot of what they were sort of doing out in the U.S. And so he sort of, uh, after the conversation, he's like, well, why don't you come out and I'll train you on how we do what we do out here. So I flew out to California and I spent two weeks with uh, Dan going through the ins and outs of um, sort of franchising, why it works, why it doesn't work, who's it's for. And as we was going through that process, um, I sort of, I suppose a vision started to form in my mind thinking this is just such a phenomenal model, particularly for those um, who are looking for something different to a corporate role. Yeah. And I'd spoken to many people uh, during my sort of role, but not just in the UK, across sort of Europe, Middle East and Africa because of the nature of what we're doing. And I just felt that this was a really great vehicle that ticked a lot of boxes. Um, so, so, that was it. I'd pretty much decided on the spot that like, this is this is my future. And I, I didn't end up relocating to the US, but I did come back and 
Um, I handed in my notice straight away. Three months later, uh, I left. I, I moved out of my apartment and uh, back to my old room at my parents to save as much <laughs> money as I could. And I just started picking up the phone and calling people. Wow. And that was it. Haven't looked back. Excellent. And obviously in America, the, the, the franchising system or the franchising industry is much bigger and more, more commonplace mm. for people, isn't it? And, and actually, from what I understand, there's a lot more brokers over there who will uh, take on this role of introducing people to franchising and franchising brands. So why do you think that perhaps there's not so many people in the UK doing the same thing? Is there just a completely different culture or yeah, what, what are your thoughts? It's a brilliant question, and you know I've I've never lost those U.S. roots. I go to the U.S. Um, you have the uh, the IFA, uh, the International Franchise Association, sure. which is the, the British Franchise Association equivalent. And I go to their conference every year and have a good network out there and really try to to get that. And I think what it actually comes down to is a mindset. There is a big you know, People in America, they speak English as we do, but actually they live very different uh, kind of lives and very different uh, outlooks to people based in the UK. And I'm broad brushing here. Yeah, yeah sure. Everyone, of course. Um, yeah, I think in from my personal experience in the US, there's always been a lot more of a um, let's give it a go attitude. Why not? The worst we can do is fail. And if we're going to fail, let's fail fast and then pick up and move on to the next. Um, in the UK, it's, again, from, ex from experience, it's been a little bit more of a, um, you know, what are the guarantees, what are the risks, maybe an over analysis of the situation when sometimes, particularly when you're making these type of moves, like going to start a business, you, you can definitely overthink it. Sometimes you just have to do it and get going to build up momentum. And that's actually, you know, it can be sort of one of the keys to success. Yeah, sure. And I guess a, a part of it in the UK is there There seems to be this stigma attached or or bad feeling around the word franchise or franchising. So yeah. why do you think that is? Can you think of a, a reason or core root of that, that kind of thought process in people? Definitely. And to a degree, I think there, I think it's justified to some sense. I mean, there are, I mean, the exact figures aren't known, but there's roughly say around a thousand franchise networks in the UK. Unfortunately, not all of them are credible networks. Um, some people who go down as, as a business owner, who's going to franchise their business, um, they go down that path completely unequipped. Uh, completely with the wrong motives they see a um, like the initial franchise fee that people that people pay as a, a profit center when it you know it's not profit it's there to be reinvested back into launching that franchisee and the real profits actually come from the ongoing revenues you know it's that win-win model um, unfortunately not everyone sees that from a franchisor perspective. And I think that's where a lot of the, the bad stories come from. And I, I guess it's just part of human nature, but we, I think we may be more attracted to some of the horror stories and some of the, the success stories. And the success stories are definitely out there, but they just seem to get swamped by some of the, the yeah, the worst ones. And there's always the, oh, I've not had the experience myself, but my friend's cousin's best mate done this and had a bad experience so there's always a lot of secondhand information 
Um, yeah. And, I, and I guess um, a lot of people don't shout about their success as much as they should do, you know, because they, they don't right. want to be seen to be showing off. But uh, if there's a, a, a negative experience. We, we see it all the time on, um, you know, products. If you buy something, you look for all the reviews, don't you? And people only really write negative ones on, on the whole, don't they? So it, it, I guess that can um, taint the views of people that are, are looking at franchising from the outside. But um, I completely agree. And I've, it's funny, actually, that... I've also noticed just um, sort of people like people we've worked with and people in our lives as they have become more successful in, in business, they've actually become more private. And so you don't see those, you know, those things as much. You just hear all of the, the worst things. Then, then all rolling around with gold ro Rolex or a, exactly, a Lamborghini yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're too busy working hard probably. So, uh, exactly. so, so, um, for people that are maybe thinking about transitioning from employment into, you know, uh, self-employment or franchising, uh, actually, let, let's focus on franchising. How how do they spot those good franchises as opposed to the the negative ones who are perhaps just in it for the for the money or the quick wins? It's, a, it's again, it's a brilliant question and something as a if if someone is uh, sort of listening to this and thinking of exploring or in the process of exploring something to keep at the forefront of your mind. Um, good credible networks are um, actually I think are, are relatively easy to identify. Um, they tend to have a strong network of franchisees in place. The franchisor is not afraid to connect prospective franchisees uh, with existing franchisees. There has to be an element of consideration there because obviously as business owners, they can't be fielding calls all day, every day from people who are thinking about it. Um, but a, a good franchisor certainly won't be hiding, you know, hiding behind uh, uh, that. Um, I think how franchisors use their the franchise fees is always a nice indicator as well. Um, so if you are, someone is paying, say, a 30,000 franchise fee, how much of that has been allocated to their marketing launch? How much of that has been allocated to training? You know, how is that being used? Or is it simply going into the back of someone's, someone's pocket? Um, yeah, there are a couple of other things, but I'll say that those two are probably the biggest ones. The validation of the network um and the perception on the franchise fees on behalf of the franchisor yeah and i, I think that the the franchise fees it's, it's it's good that you're talking about that because i think um just from my own personal experience that's that's the bit people have difficulty wrapping their heads around you know what mm. what does that money actually get me especially when we were talking about maybe white collar franchises or, or a franchise where it's it's not a shop or a restaurant you know where there's uh a burger like mcdonald's you know mm. um, so yeah when, when, when thinking about that that franchise fee what should how should people view that that initial fee i think people need to uh keep that fee in context like almost take a step back to it because if they were going down say an, an independent path so setting up your own business um let's say a consultancy a white collar consultancy because it's, it's it's definitely not as clear where that franchise fee is used in that sector so you know if i was looking to go and start a consultancy then i need to really figure out well what am i offering 
who are my customers? How am I going to reach those customers? Um, what's the best way of reaching them? What's the most efficient way? Uh, how do I deliver this in such a way that it's scalable? So I can either get someone else to come and do this or there is clear sort of parameters. You, you, have, you spend a lot of time figuring that out. And um, I really believe that a lot of small businesses go bust because they simply run out of money before they've had the opportunity to actually figure all of this stuff out. Compare that to a franchise, say a white collar franchise, like a consultancy. And you, yeah, yes, you're not getting the, the retail location with the, the burger, you know, the, the, the burger fryers and all that. But what you are getting is a proven ATZ blueprint. These are your service offerings. These are your target audiences. These are several, uh, several different ways on how to uh, identify, approach and nurture those prospects and turn them into clients. This is how you deliver. This is how you deliver in such a way so that uh, the revenue streams are like the cash flow of the business is more sustainable. So you see in a lot of white collar franchises, you don't see as much project based work. Like obviously it's there, but you tend to see a lot of recurring revenue type models. So there's stability in cash flow. Um, all of that's done. So your franchise fee, again, going back to a 30,000 example, your franchise fees incorporating all of that knowledge and learning and trial and error that's come before, plus the training and the marketing launch and getting you out there. So it's, it's I've always seen it as a, just a quicker way to, to get it up and running and a, a more accurate way to, to view that fee. It's still scary though, right? Like, you know, you, so you've got to hand over a, a, a chunk of money, whatever it may be. And I know there's there's franchises that I've heard from, you know, a thousand pounds up to, you know, the millions. But uh, whichever amount it is, that's still an amount that you've, I guess you feel like there's a, a risk of losing. So um, do you think there's mm. a particular type of person that this kind of model suits best? I actually think that that fear, that scariness about it is a vital element of success um, because if you have the if you if you're in the financial position where 30,000 is you know maybe not a big sum is it's it is you know if you do lose that it's not going to be the end of the world then your commitment and motivation going into that business is going to be significantly different to someone who say and more typically has raised the money from a bank, NatWest, HSBC, um, you know, they've, they've, uh, they're, they're, they've got some more risk on the line. Their, their approach and going into that will almost feed their success. So I don't necessarily see the fear as a bad thing. Um, just it is not for everyone. Uh, and certainly the people that we speak to, we, we're always the first to put our hand up and say, are you sure this is for you? Um, have you considered this or have you considered that? I think it takes someone to be, um, uh, they have to be in a place in their life where they are open and they, they're prepared to um, you know, take a step into the unknown, even though there's a lot known about this, there's still a lot of unknown for them personally. And uh, uh, to take a, a risk, however defined that is. Um, not everyone's like that and that's totally fine yeah. but yeah it's uh yeah yeah okay cool so you mentioned uh just a second ago about fran uh, financing for a franchise now obviously mm. uh, i know there's uh financing available in the uk and the banks will will support um 
are more likely to support somebody buying into a franchise and setting up their own business because there's there's some guarantees or there's at least a uh, it's, it's a proven model that's worked for mm. other people so it's more likely to be uh, uh, successful for this person but um what's it like in in other countries like uh, the US and perhaps anywhere else that you've you've uh, had experience with franchising do they offer financing packages as well or is it just something that's that's solely available in the UK no finances you know finances is very uh, common in in many different countries using the US as an example uh, very similar to the UK you have uh, franchising requirements within banks you have specialists uh, sort of franchise finance brokers who can help pull this together uh, in the US you tend to see very similar to the UK a lot of people use their uh, 501k so their pension plan to help uh, release money and you can do the same in the UK when you um, hit the age of 55 you can draw down uh, up to 25% of your pension and it can be a really nice way for someone who's at that stage in their career to go down this path without risking everything but also to take a portion of their pension and, and almost like bet on themselves in a very refined way. So the, the financing mechanisms are, are very similar. What I've seen, not seen anything too sort of too different. Sure. Have you have you ever seen anybody using crowdfunding before to um to to generate the fee for a franchise license? You know what? I haven't, and I don't know what my thoughts are on that. <laughs> uh, whether that's a good thing or or a bad thing, because again, it goes down to um, you know I think franchise fees are really important as long as they're being used correctly by the franchise or from a franchisee perspective, it's about having skin in the game. You know, it's about having your own money in and being, I have to make this work and I will make this work. That's what makes people successful rather than other people's money. (laughs) Perfect. So I I just want to kind of change the, 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 the pace a little bit now and just kind of ask you what's been your, your proudest moment in your, your career so far whether that's in the franchising industry or maybe doing that newspaper rounds? <laughs> um, uh, I think my, my proudest moment actually is when, when, uh, like when we work with someone, when we first speak to someone and we, you know, our very first conversation is normally like a 15 minutes exploratory call and we're just saying, hey, have you thought about franchising and providing, uh, so, uh, providing like an overview and answering any immediate immediate questions um, and seeing them as they go through that process to signing a franchise agreement, going through training and coming back and saying, just, you know, thank you so much. This has completely changed my life in, in, in a way that I think a lot of people can't fully imagine when they're at the earlier parts of that process, maybe still stuck in a corporate role or facing redundancy and going through and seeing how, how um, just seeing how some of the candidates I personally work with, how they've, uh, just changed the pace of life like one of the guys a great guy I worked with called Bill um, he was commuting four hours a day you know he missed his kids growing up he wow. said I've missed 15 years of my of my marriage and we had to catch up about 18 months into his journey of being a franchisee and he was telling me that it's you know it's brilliant I get so much more time we've got a, a big family gathering um, happening on Friday like the weather was beautiful and just sitting around and drinking wine and just enjoying themselves and that shift in life for people it's always so 
I don't know, you just feel an element of, of sort of pride for that, <laughs> seeing people take that journey. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, that's a, a big change in that, that guy's life. I mean, I think we're all used to it nowadays, aren't we? With with working well, from home a, a lot more than, but 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 back then, traveling four hours a day, yeah. Uh, I, I've spoken to a lot of people over the years who are just fed up of doing that, and it's strange that always their first thought is, "Can I get a job closer to home?" It's not. It's not always, "Can I start a business closer to home?" or "Can I start a franchise closer to home?" So, yeah. We're even taking it a step further, which is where we suddenly the, the view we try to take is like, well, what have you enjoyed the most throughout your career? Let's say that's coaching and mentoring and leading people. And how can you um, zoom in on that and make that, you know, a main theme of what you're doing and build it in a way that the lifestyle aspects are there as well. So you get more time and family, um, get that balance, the income is where you want it to be but you're actually doing something you genuinely really enjoy and because you enjoy it you're adding more value and it's just yeah I think that's a really good point actually and it's something that I you know I've been thinking a lot over the last year or two is you know what are what are my own core values and what do I actually want mm. to do and enjoy and actually that's a part of the reason why I started up this because I enjoy talking to people and um and uh, finding out their stories so it's a hobby but you know, I enjoy doing it and, that, and, that, and that's what's going to keep me doing this again and again. So I guess um, before even thinking about, um, you know, should I do employment or franchising or self-employment or contracting or whatever it may be, I guess um, I, I think it's a really important thing for people to consider is what what am I actually going to enjoy? What am I? What do I want to do for the rest of my life? And then look at what option is going to take me to that path, take me down that route. Um, so yeah, really interesting point you raised there. Um, I'm going to ask you the question though. Um, what do you like about what you do at the moment? Um, the, I mean, I've, I've, I genuinely wake up every day just, just sort of full of it. There are just so many things that I that I sort of love. Um, I love the industry as a whole. Actually, um, I really believe once you get into franchising, there's no getting out. It just keeps sort of clawing you back in. Um, I'm immensely proud of our team. Uh, we have a fantastic team here, and I've, I've, I'm just so uh, almost uh, taken back by how passionate they all are about what we're doing and seeing them bring all this to life. Um, uh, the, the the people that we work with, like hearing the stories, seeing the uh, the recommendations, the um, the you've changed my life like we haven't changed it but we've just shown them a different path and they've changed it that type of stuff is you know, fantastic and of course you know being a small business we've got two businesses uh, we've got 12 people working with us we're you know we're, we're ambitious we're moving forward and that's that's uh scary exciting and everything in between all before lunch so it's uh, <laughs> yeah it's good fun excellent well, you, you, i think you can tell you enjoy what you do so that's really good but um uh next question i wanted to ask is what's been kind of the weirdest or funniest moment that you've had in your career has there been anything that's kind of strange that's happened to you that's that sticks out in your mind or funny i think the strangest one actually was it happened last year so um we work with a number of uh, credible franchise organizations in the UK. We do a lot of vetting. And one of our clients is Action Coach, which I'm sure a lot of people would have heard of. Um, a phenomenally successful 
franchise network. They're in uh, just over 80 countries. Um, they have over 200 franchisees in the UK alone. And uh, we've worked a lot with them over the last few years. And um, we were invited to their annual conference, which is a phenomenal experience. We saw Sir Clive Woodward uh, okay. uh, speak. He took England to the Rugby World Cup. Um, so that was fascinating. And then, and then in the evening, um, you have a, a black tie dinner, an awards ceremony. And uh, myself and uh, Tom, our uh, uh, franchise manager, uh, was attending these awards and we were uh, going into the room, you know, we had a drink in hand, all, all very uh, smiley and hap- uh, sort of happy. And we was looking at the table plan to see where we were sitting. And uh, it turns out we we're sitting on table six, I think it was. And Tom was like, oh, we're, we're on the same t- uh, table as Ian Cristolo, who is sort of the, the Asher Coach UK co-founder. And we sort of jokingly said, oh, we're probably sitting next to Brad Sugars, the founder of Action Coach. Well, we actually did, was on the same table as Brad <laughs> Sugars. So I spent the whole evening sitting next to the founder of Action Coach and just hearing his stories. And he's a very funny guy. Um, and Tom and I just spent the whole sort of dinner looking at each other thinking, is this, is this really sort of happening, really? It was just a bit of a... Um, yeah, completely unexpected. Quite well, surreal, I guess. Quite surreal. So, yeah. so surreal. Um, just hearing how it started this and how it grown. And uh, yeah, we, we honestly thought we'd be at a table in the back somewhere. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was uh, yeah, surreal to say the least. It's actually something I like about the fr- the franchising industry as a whole is you you start to be surrounded by entrepreneurs all the time and people that yeah. uh, take action and it's quite inspiring actually to to hear everybody's stories and, and realize how they've made a success for themselves and of course success looks different for everybody but yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds like sounds like a good evening <laughs> and glad it, you could it, remember it. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Perfect. So you, you mentioned there about uh, Thomas and, and, and your team. So how long have you you been running Night Franchise, the Night Franchise group? So Night Franchise is, um, I've been running that for just over five years now. Um, so when I, so going back to uh, when I was in California and when I left, um, when I left uh, uh, my role and started in my parents' bedroom, the you know, I had a framework of a model that worked in the US, but I knew it wouldn't work in the UK because it's, as we've discussed earlier, very different market, very yeah. different mindset. But I was convinced that with all of the um, the techniques and like knowledge that we've been using at my previous corporate role, there was a way to sort of bring these two together. Um, so I basically spent the next two and a half years um, practically by myself, um had a uh like a financial person with me just sort of doing the, the basic bookkeeping and that but just refining and refining our process just making it work making it work almost to a to a state where now it's down to a science um we know that what we do in the different points that people are on their journey um so yeah so about two and a half well, just over two and a half years ago now i started to uh, grow the team and um, Thomas was actually our, you know, our first, our first employee who brought on, who I bought on, and it's been going, going from there ever since. Perfect. So, in terms of the the, the franchises that you work with, are they within any specific sector or quite a variety? I mean, yeah, tell me a little bit about what you guys do as a whole and how you how you support people in finding that that right transition for them. 
Mm. We work with, um, so we work with uh, people come from many different backgrounds, many different uh, sort of career paths and different levels as well, from sort of middle management through to senior senior exec type of appointments. Um, we, we work with a portfolio of franchisors that uh, really quite a mix. So everything from more white collar, and by white collar, I'm sort of referring to your consultancies, uh, maybe your business coaching, like Action Coach, um, some property franchise uh, sort of franchisors. We work with management type franchises, so people who want to leverage their their skills as a manager and deliver a product or service through a team of people. Um, so they're 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 the main ones. We don't do as much sort of. Um, man in a van type franchise it's just they tend not to appeal as much to the the audience that we speak to there's nothing wrong with them um they just, they just don't do as much there so yeah i'd say it's primarily sort of management and, and sort of white collar that we work with okay and and just from your own experience what do you think makes a good franchisee or or mm. or how do people know that they're going to be good in in a franchise model at what point can they say yes this is the time well, so first of all, I'd say that you mentioned time. Timing is everything when it comes to making this type of transition. I mean, it's our, it's our mantra in, in the office. It's, it's all about timing. It's all about timing. It's all you hear us say day in, day out <laughs> to people. It's all about timing and helping people to establish is the timing right for them. Um, so that's a, uh, that's a key element. But with regards to who does well in franchising, I would say that the worst franchisees are people who are naturally more entrepreneurial by nature. Um, they, they, uh, we've seen this happen a, a few times now. They tend to, um, people more entre entrepreneurial focused would tend to go into a franchise and the first thing they do is try and change everything. And they fail to um, sort of realize that the real value that they've got is this proven business model with the keyword being proven and that the franchisor has almost certainly tried and tested things many times over. So this is what is the accumulation of all that. So entrepreneurs tend not to be as good as franchisees. The best franchise operators by far are the ones who follow the system. Like it's, it, 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 when you go into a quality franchise network, it's very methodical step-by-step step, process driven and it's just amazing how many people sort of deviate from that or don't quite follow through but the most successful ones without a question are the ones who can follow those you know step one step two step three and do that consistently time and again i don't know if you've sort of seen anything similar ed in your in your world yeah so i think um i think people have to have a, a little bit of a an, an entrepreneurial spirit about them just because um to build any business whether it's for a franchise or 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 for themselves, I think you have to be able to hit KPIs and targets, you know, know what activities are going to get you there and then do them. And sometimes people that are used to employment perhaps aren't used to doing that, you know, proactively for themselves and building it for themselves. I also think that uh, more entrepreneurial people um, can also give ideas to the franchisor that can help them to develop their systems because. Mm. Ultimately, if a franchise or franchisor stands still, I think 
you know, five years time, they're going to get left behind by the competition. So they, they still need to evolve and change what they're doing to some degree, you know, that they've got to test new things out and see what works and then filter it down to the rest of the market. But uh, I think there's a, I can't remember the exact story, but um, I think a lot of the McDonald's burgers were actually developed by franchisees rather than the franchisor. So I think it, I guess what I'm saying is it needs to be a two-way conversation or two-way relationship uh, somebody the other day said to me, it's like a marriage, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. uh, and I think it's a good way to think about that as well. When you're finding the right franchise for you is, can I get on with these people? Can I work with them? Yes. Their, their system might be the system that works for me, but if I think the guys are an idiot or the, the team, the, the, the team's not going to work for me, then yeah, it's, you, sh- you shouldn't go forwards with that. But uh, yeah. I think that's a really key point, actually. The um, as a prospective franchisee, one of the often uh, sort of overlooked uh, criteria that a, a, a franchisee can have is everything looks great on paper, has some great conversations with franchise network. But how do you get on with the leadership team of that franchise or? You know, how do you um, how do you relate to them? Would you go down the pub and have a have a beer with them, for example? You don't have to be best mates, and you don't want to be best mates, but there has to be uh, a strong uh, element of mutual respect and rapport there. And unfortunately, I have seen in uh, like some franchise networks where the leadership is just are just like you wouldn't trust them as far as you can throw them, and yet people move forward because everything looks good on paper, and then they wonder why it turns out sort of in, yeah, ends up in tears down the line so that that leadership connection i think is the connection with that leadership team is extremely extremely important yeah i agree definitely agree okay well adrian just one more question before i let you 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 go so um i'm just wondering what um your your best piece of advice or number one piece of advice would be that you could give to somebody who's thinking about transitioning careers whether it's franchising or to another job or self-employment whatever it may be what piece of advice would you would you give to somebody to help them uh, choose the right path I guess it's all about timing Um, it really is all about timing so take a step back and just look at the bigger picture with sort of personal circumstances financial circumstances Um, I suppose a good example is if you are like really keen to do something but you have uh two children that are going to university within the next two years then if you were to go and make any significant changes now you know you're going to have financial pressure coming up with university fees and just all of the unforeseen stuff so uh, that's quite a different place to be than someone who has two children who's finished university and are now supporting themselves financially and they're off mum and dad's payroll so um so they've got a lot more uh, uh, sort of bandwidth to really explore this stuff so just think about timing don't let it sort of don't overanalyze but just think carefully about is this the right time and if not when would be the right time to start making um start making some sort of moves perfect adrian thank you very much that's that's spot on so timing is the key thing you've mentioned it a few that times so uh, <laughs> brilliant well look adrian thank you very much for your time today i really appreciate it and um yeah make sure you keep in touch all right absolutely thank you ed much appreciate being on the show cheers thank you cheers so that was my conversation with adrian knight of knight franchises i thought it was interesting how adrian has pretty much always had franchising 
at his heart and entrepreneurship as well from having five paper rounds and getting his friends to to, to actually do the deliveries through to you know even traveling across to America to learn the franchise uh, systems and concepts over there where really franchising is not seen as a negative concept. He also made me think about what a credible franchise organization looks like in the UK. Uh, I think there's a preconceived notion from most people that either franchising is good or franchising is bad but I think perhaps it's a combination of the two and my thoughts after this conversation really is uh, the best way to to spot them is maybe to look to associations like the British Franchise Association who can offer you some guidance as to what a credible franchise organization looks like. Other key takeaways for me were to use your fear of failure to keep you motivated to succeed. Again, I think this is something true in franchising and setting up a business on your own. You know, if you've got some skin in the game, you're more likely to succeed. Uh, other things were, do you get on with the leadership within the franchise? It's like a marriage, really. So you've got to got to work together. And then finally, it's all about timing. It was something that Adrian seemed really keen on, and I think it it really rings true. Really think about right now: is it the right time for you? Or is it something you should explore further down the line, maybe six months or a year down the line? But uh, all in all, I thought it was great to see how passionate he was about the industry. And if you want to find out more about Adrian, you can find him on LinkedIn or check the text that comes with this episode and find the links through there. So all that's left for me to do is say thanks for listening and I'll catch you on the next one.